First Peter 1, 3 and 4 in the message, uh, it's on the screen. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. That verse is relevant to Annie Lobert. And when you hear her story, you'll say, wow, wow. Annie Lobert grew up in the Midwest. Her father was an angry man. Because he was angry, he brought all kinds of stress into their home and family. And Annie was kind of on the brunt end of that relationship with her father. And so as a teenager, she took her father's anger very personally. And she concluded that she herself was unlovable. And so she met a boy in high school. He told her he loved her. Uh, It met a real emotional need inside Annie at the time. And when he told her that he wanted to marry her and make a life with her, she agreed to be sexually intimate with him. But she was devastated later when she found out that he was also being intimate with some of her friends. So now Annie was angry with two men, her father and her ex-boyfriend. She moved to Minneapolis following high school and started going to clubs. And it was a purpose that she would find a very wealthy man who would love her and take care of her. Well, she did meet some wealthy men in the process, but these men wanted her body, and they didn't want marriage. And so that led Annie into a life of prostitution. Annie said, I think what this really was building inside me was this vendetta, this deep-seated unforgiveness towards my dad, towards the boy in high school. And I just wanted revenge. I was going to prove that I could make it in my life, and money was going to be the answer. And so Annie became a very high-priced call girl, earning as much as $2,000 an hour. And so it seemed to her that her plan for revenge was working out quite well. One of her clients began to compliment her, treated her very well, and told her that he was falling in love with her. Those were the things that Annie longed to hear from a man. And so when he asked her to move to another state with him, she agreed. But then this man changed towards Annie. He started beating her and forcing her to go out with men and to give him the money that she brought home. For five years, Annie lived in that kind of environment, enduring all kinds of abuse before finally getting away from this man. Now Annie was broke, and things began to fall apart all around her world. She got sick, and in the process became addicted to painkillers, which led her to become addicted to cocaine. Her life was in a tailspin, for sure. She couldn't deal with life. She hated the person that she had become, sex trafficked, used, abused, and an addict. And so one night, 
And he took a dangerous amount of cocaine. And the room seemed to go dark before her very eyes. And it was then that she felt a demonic presence in the room with her. And she could see, so to speak, a vision of her life where as she was lying down on her bed, her family and friends had gathered around her and they were talking to each other, but they said she was just a prostitute. And that was the turning point in Annie's life. It was there that she realized that she needed a new start. She realized that she needed forgiveness. And so while suffering the effects of her overdose, she cried out, Jesus, please save me. I don't know if you're real, but I don't want to die. And soon a peace came over Annie, and she knew that Jesus had heard her prayer. Annie had a lot of lingering guilt about what she had done with her life. She feared Christians would reject her. And a part of her thought, you know what? They'd be right in rejecting me for what I had done. But God's spirit began to remake Annie's heart, began to renew her mind and thinking. And Annie said, I started to stand on Jesus' word that I'm whole, that I'm healed, that I'm pure in him. Annie had forgiven her father and all the other men that had hurt her. And she also started a nonprofit organization to help women like her escape the grip of sex trafficking and pursue a new life by God's design. She had become pure when God forgave her, and she wanted other women to experience that same sense of being clean and forgiven. It was a miraculous opportunity that God holds out to you and to me this morning. And Annie experienced what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. This morning, I don't know your past. You may be here because it's Easter. You know, you want to check out what's going on. You want to, you know, maybe put a smile on God's face because you've been stiff-arming him over the past few years of your life. And that's okay. That's fine. But Eddie Lobert went through the ringer. And life beat her up. But the cool thing is she knew to call on Jesus Christ. And you know what's cool? Jesus didn't stiff arm Annie. He didn't say, man, you have messed up Annie so much. You need to go through rehab for 12 months and you need to go through all these hoops and then Annie, I'll come into your life and clean you up. No, no. We saw that on the cross. When Jesus was hanging between two criminals that were sentenced to die for the crimes that they committed. And those two criminals mocked with the crowd and they made fun of Jesus and they told him to get off the cross. 
But something happened to one of those criminals when he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that one criminal put his faith in Christ while he was a dying man. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And when Annie put her faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus did the same thing with her. Annie, I forgive you. You will have a relationship with me. That's what he wants with you this morning as well, friend. You may have brought a baggage of guilt from your past. Condemnation that's been building you up. Mm. Jesus is here to forgive you and restore you to a relationship with him. He's here. No matter what you've done, no matter all the sins, one sin is enough to keep you and I out of heaven. So to Jesus, one or a thousand or ten million, it doesn't matter because his power to forgive is greater. He wants that for you. And so today, we get to celebrate Easter. And you want to know something? Out of all the world religions, you could have a roll call. You could be walking through cemeteries. And one by one of these religious leaders, as you call their name, Mohammed, he's here. How about Moses? Yeah, he's in the grave. Buddha? Yeah, he's here. Confucius? You bet. He's here too. But when you go to the tomb of Jesus Christ and you call his name, there's no answer. (laughs) Dude, there is no answer. And I am so, man, I can't tell you. To be living in a world where we are being lied to, deceived through media, whatever the case may be, you know. But when you talk about your soul, Forever and ever, Jesus truly is the only way. Because out of all the world religions, he is the only one that's not in his grave today. Friend, I want to encourage you, if you've been struggling, if you've been wandering, if you've been stiff-arming Christ, he is here. And he's reaching out to you. And he's saying to you, today is the day. To be reconciled with me. I've been waiting. Yeah. And so we're encouraged by that. Jesus is alive. So on the back of your notes, um, uh, the program, John 20, 18 through 29, that's where we're going to be camping out this morning. Um, We know that Jesus said many times that he would be betrayed that he would be killed, that he would come back to life three days later, rise from the dead. And you want to know something? He kept his word. He did. He kept his word. And you and I can put our our faith in Christ. Um, So we do that this morning. There's seven things that we're going to walk through today. What makes... Easter very special, and I want you to know something, friend. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only in the Bible, but it's a historical document. 
After Jesus came out of the grave, he, he was with a group of over 500 people at one time. And before he ascended to the Father, there were eyewitnesses of him walking, touching, speaking, eating with people. It's a historical document. And so I want to encourage you, if you've come in here this morning with doubts, hmm, questions, it's good. It's okay. Because you're going to find even in this resurrection story, that was going on in the men that had followed Jesus for three years. So let's take a look. Let's read. We pick it up, John 20. Mary Magdalene, the first woman, the first person to go to the tomb and realize that Jesus wasn't there. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, and she gave them this message. And so, verse 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Father, we want to thank you this morning for this Resurrection Sunday. We want to thank you as we walk through the cemeteries of the world and all the world religions that Jesus, your grave, your tomb is empty. Man, to be able to put our faith and trust and belief in a God, the only true God, We are so grateful. I pray for everyone in this room this morning that they will sense you, Lord, your love, your presence in a very personal way. If there are people here today that are living in guilt, in shame, I pray, Lord, that they will come to you. They will call your name. Just as Annie labored, called on your name in her time of desperation. When it looked hopeless for Annie, she called on you. So Lord, help us to call on you freely. Because you are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, Jesus knows where I'm at. Jesus knows where I'm at. Verse 19a, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. You know, honestly, friend, this is almost comical. It really, if you you were there and if you kind of got the pulse of these men and... Jesus is standing there among them. The doors are locked. Um, The disciples are living in fear. Their leader, the Messiah that they had put their hope in, had died on the cross. They had heard that he was raised from the dead. But they were fearing for their own lives. If they came after Jesus, they were next on the list. So they, they were definitely you know, emotionally spent after the past week of everything that went on in Jerusalem. 
and it's, it's nighttime, and they're drained, they're exhausted, they haven't been sleeping well. And so Jesus doesn't even knock, and he just comes into the room, boom, just like that. He just appeared. I am wowed by the fact that God, who controls and operates this entire universe and has a pulse for seven and a half billion people all at the same time, he's here. And Annie Lambert, who who had... She herself had made choices to self-destruct. Jesus was there waiting because he knew where she was. He was ready to help, standing by her side. And this morning, you may have locked God out of your life. You don't want anything to do with him. Maybe life has just beat you up and you, you have so many questions and doubt about God. He's probably forgotten about you and so you just locked him out. He gives you the freedom to be able to do that. that that's incredible to me. And he quietly waits outside that locked door. And with his own men, he walks through the door and he appears And these men, um, (laughs) what do they do? What do they they say? Well, they realize, you know, they were hiding, but Jesus knew where they were. They didn't send a memo out. They didn't shoot a flare in the air. They didn't have a blip over the house they were staying in. Jesus knew where they were. And I want you to know this morning, no matter where you are or what you're going through in your life, Jesus knows where you're at because he loves you. And we can echo with David in Psalm 139.7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Do you think David is whining and complaining like, God, that isn't fair, I can't get away from you? No, no. He is grateful that in this broken world, no matter where he goes, God is there with him. And that's the promise in your life today. God is not ignorant of your situation. He is fully aware. And he wants to participate in your life. Which leads us to number two. Because he knows where we're at, Jesus comes to encourage us. Look at verse 19b. Peace be with you. The first thing Jesus says to these broken men is peace be with you. He's saying, guys, I I, I realize... Your blood pressure has spiked. I, I, can, I know your heart rate is accelerating right now. I get it. I can see the stress on your faces. And these guys probably freak out initially when Jesus came into the room, you know, because they're just waiting for Jesus to dump on them. You know, hey, guys, you want to know why I'm here? I'm here to blow you up, man, because where were you when I was being tried and tortured? Where were you guys when I was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? You just, you went to bed, man. You just checked out. Where were you when I was hanging on the cross? You know, 
these guys are probably thinking, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. This is payback time, you know? Yeah. No. Here's the beauty about your God is that he comes to encourage them. He doesn't point his finger in their faces and say, man, you blew it. Instead, he says, peace be with you. The storms are whirling emotionally all around these men, and Jesus comes in, just like he spoke to the wind and the waves when they were in that boat. And he said, peace, be still. All of those raw emotions were flying in the air in this room, and Jesus said, peace be with you. Not only that, but he was there with them. And so I am encouraged that Jesus simply says, I'm here, and may you, men, experience my peace. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've done something and there were to be consequences, and mentally you had it all figured out on how it would fly, and instead grace was dispensed. I I tell you, the longer I follow Christ, the more amazed I am at his grace. When I deserve, I don't deserve it. But he keeps pouring his grace. He doesn't come and say, Bob, you blew it again. What's the matter with you? Don't you realize I've invested in you, man? No, he doesn't do that. He comes and he says, Bob, I am with you. I haven't abandoned you. I'm here. We're going to walk through this thing together. And I'm going to restore you again. It's beautiful. And so that's what he's doing here with with these men. And today you might be stressed out. Maybe you've kind of locked yourself in a room, you know, in life to keep people away from you or maybe to keep God away from you. But what you're doing is you're locking yourself out from not only God but the people who care about you. And that's a dangerous place to be. Which leads us to number three. Jesus proves his love for me. Jesus knows where you're at. He comes to encourage you, not to judge you. He comes to prove his love. Verse 20, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. It was kind of like show and tell, you know. Jesus comes into that room and these guys are kind of in panic mode and they they were kind of despondent through it all. And then Jesus shows up and he's saying, hey guys, look, look, it's me. It's me. It, I am who I said I am. It's, it's me. And hey, all these scars, uh, I was nailed to the cross because of my love for you. What Jesus is doing here in this verse is first he's validating his identity. He He's saying, hey, guys, it's, it's me, it's Jesus. Um, the nail scars, uh, you're not looking at a ghost. You're not dreaming. You can touch me. You can, it's, it's really me. 
It's really me. And so when the men in that room realized that, yes, indeed, it was Jesus, you can imagine, emotionally, they were spent. But when Jesus shows up, man, there was, whoo! You know, we thought he was, he, he's alive, just like he said. And it says that they, they were filled with joy. And so when Jesus says, look at the scars, um, I love you. This proves my love for you. In fact, Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's love. That's love. And so looking at the cross and looking at the scars in Christ, he, he's saying, you know, when we question, does God love me? That proves his love. And they were filled with joy. These men were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. I want to encourage you this morning to to build moments of time, maybe alone, so that God can personally tell you he loves you. He does. Number four, Jesus gives me purpose. Verse 21. Again, he said, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Um, All of us need something bigger than ourselves. And unfortunately, in our culture today, with all the selfies and, you know, smartphones and it's... It's, we've kind of shrunk our world to ourselves, you know, because my world is all about me, and we have to check how many likes we have on Facebook and all. You know, we're driven by that kind of thinking. Can I tell you, that's going to leave you very empty. It's going to leave you very empty. And when Jesus comes to the place where these men thought they were failures and they had made wrong choices in following after Christ and, and it went on and on and they were emotionally wasted. Instead of taking their name off the disciple list and say to these men, you have to go through spiritual boot camp all, again, all, all, all over again to get back on my disciple list. No, no. What does Jesus do? He says, I'm giving you a purpose. It's bigger than you. It's greater than you. And so, uh, uh, these men uh, who thought God was through with them, Jesus is saying, no, I'm not through with you guys. Come on, come on. I know you blew it, you made mistakes. I I, I saw that. Um, But I've got a plan for you. And we're going to take on the world together. Yeah. And so just imagine that resonating within these men. They have a purpose. They are on this planet on purpose. Hmm. You know, Jesus isn't expecting us to be perfect, but he wants you and I to give people around us a picture of who Jesus is. That's what he wants. So today, I don't know how many Spider-Man fans we have, 
today? You might have your Spider-Man shirt under your shirt, you know? I don't know if that's you out there. But um, Peter Parker, remember him? Spider-Man? Yeah, as a teenager, he got bitten by a radioactive spider, and all of a sudden he realizes, man, ooh, I got this web-spinning, skyscraper-climbing, crime-fighting spider suit. And he says something in the movie that I think the disciples would say, I resonate with that. that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I hope it makes sense to you this morning as well. In the Spider-Man movie, Peter Parker says, for me, after realizing he's got all of these special abilities, living an ordinary life is no longer an option. And when you look at what Jesus said to the disciples and what he's saying to you and me this morning. He's giving you purpose. There's a reason for your life. It's bigger and greater than you are. We can go to Christ and say, Lord, I'm tired of living my life as usual, you know. We can stand by Jesus at the empty tomb today. And say, for me, Lord, living an ordinary life is no longer an option. Yeah, yeah, it's no longer an option. I realize there's greatness in my life, not because I'm great, but because you're living in and through me. It's all because of you. So, Philippians 2.15, the message puts it this way. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living And of the living God. Carry the light giving message into the night so I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. That says it pretty plain, doesn't it? That's your purpose right there. Yeah, man. Carry the light giving message into the night. That's your purpose. Well, that's not the end of it. Jesus goes on. Number five, he deposits his presence, he makes a deposit into these men, and you and me as well. Verse 22, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus basically is saying, I just don't want to be with you. I want to be in you. I want to be in you. And John 16, 5, earlier Jesus had said this, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. It is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. So if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. All truth. No deception, no lies. It's all truth. You can, you can put your whole life on that. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul talks about your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Friends, 2019, April, stop and think. Friday, at the Good Friday service, we, we, we spent some time on this with the temple in Jerusalem where the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. God tore that veil, that 60 foot high, 30 feet wide, four inch thick curtain from top to bottom 
to symbolically say to you and me, we don't need somebody else to go into the presence of God. You, me, as a follower of Christ, can go into the very presence of God at any time. Annie Lambert realized that when she was dying. She couldn't make it to the temple, but she called on that name. She could come into the presence of God by calling on his name. And you can do that too. But to think that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a walking temple. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to go and worship God anymore like they had to do in those early days in the New Testament. When Jesus died and rose from the grave, you become the living temple. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you are holy in the eyes of God because he's living on the inside. That's what Jesus was telling his men. You're not going to live this life on your own. The Holy Spirit's going to live through you. Look at Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same power, mighty power, that raised Christ from the dead. It was the, the Spirit's power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul is saying that same power is resonant in you. Isn't that incredible? And it's there so that you can live a life honoring to the Lord. You're not alone. Because Christ lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And that's great news. Number six, Jesus forgives me. Jesus forgives me. Jesus said, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Jesus is not saying to the disciples that they have the power to forgive people's sins. What he's saying is, Jesus has that power. And because he has forgiven the disciples' sins, they, in turn, can go out and tell others about the power of forgiveness. They experienced that forgiveness, by the way, when they, when they were in that room. And I'm sure they told Jesus, Lord, I am, I am sorry I bailed on on you. I am sorry that I abandoned you. And Jesus said, I forgive you. So firsthand, they experienced that forgiveness. Jesus was saying, men, I've forgiven you. You're completely forgiven. That's why I died on the cross. I died on the cross for all the things you've ever done wrong. So you're forgiven. Now I expect you to do the same thing with other people. Pass it on and show them grace in the process. Anne Lamont puts it this way. Not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. What Jesus was saying was for you to be a healthy follower of Christ because Jesus forgave you when people hurt you, when people step on you, you need to forgive them the way Jesus forgave you. Because if you don't, it's like drinking rat poison. And waiting for the rat to die. You're going to self-destruct. 
And Jesus recognizes that. So as you've experienced his forgiveness, you in turn can forgive those that have hurt you. Lord, I forgive them in Jesus' name. And you let it go. Sometimes you have to pray that every day for a long time. But it's a good habit to get into. Number seven, Jesus gives me hope. Yeah, we sang about that hope a little bit ago. Verse 24 through 29, here it is. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. So word on the street got out, man. Thomas, you're a doubter. You know? You're the bad dude, man. You're the failure. He was the only one that publicly declared his his doubting. Well, the cool thing is in verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Those doors are still locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. There he goes. There he goes again, Jesus. Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. There's that word, believe. Believe, you're all putting that word to use right now. You're sitting on those chairs, and when you put your body on that chair, you are saying, I believe this chair will support me. See, that's faith. That's the meaning of the word that Jesus is talking about. You put all your weight on Christ by believing that he died on the cross for you and for me. That he paid for all of your sins and my sins on the cross. I believe that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, there's the word, believes, puts all my weight You will not perish. You will not spend eternity away from me, but you will have eternal life with me. That's what Jesus is saying here. Believe. Come on. Come on. My Lord and my God, Thomas explained, then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Do you realize that you're blessed today because you put your faith in Christ without seeing him? We have God's word. That's pretty cool. But we're blessed. And man, imagine one day when we do see him face to face. Check this image out on the screen. Here's Thomas. And Jesus opens up his robe to to show where the spear went into his side. And he said, come on, Thomas. You know what Jesus is doing? He's saying, do not use Thomas' picture as a dartboard. You know, he's the bad dude in Christianity because he doubted. No, 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 no. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, it's okay to doubt. It's okay. I'm giving you permission to doubt. I'm giving you permission to ask questions. It's okay. Because he doesn't, he doesn't get on Thomas at all. He just says, look, come on, put put your hand in that hole right here. And Thomas realizes, whoa, 
It is Jesus. And you spend time with Christ and you bring your questions and your doubts to him. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to make fun of you. He's going to work with you. And we all know there are questions and doubts that we have as long as we live on this planet. And we will not get those answered until we see Jesus face to face. And it's then we can ask those tough questions that we never got answers for. So we can say, Jesus, I'm, I'm doubting this. I have questions about this. And Jesus is saying, it's okay. It's all right. I'm going to walk you through that process. And so I love it. He gives hope to Thomas when Thomas, it seemed, was hopeless in his doubts. There were two brothers getting ready to boil some eggs to color for Easter, and the older brother told the younger brother, I'll give you $5 if you let me break three of these raw eggs on your head. And the younger brother, man, his eyes got big as saucers, $5. I never had $5 before as my own. Really? You promise? His older brother said, I promise, man. And so with, with, with great joy and excitement, he broke that first egg over his younger brother's head, and he broke the second egg over his brother's head, and then he stopped. You guys are ahead of me already. The little boy says, hey, hey, where's the third egg? And the older brother said, it's not happening. If I broke the third egg, it would cost me $5. So I'm not. (laughs) Do you realize that's how a lot of people live their lives, that people make promises? People make promises and they break them and you get hurt. So do you think this younger brother is going to trust his older brother again? It's going to be a long time to rebuild that trust, isn't it? Hmm? Yeah. And that's how it is, even living as a follower of Christ. There's things that happen in life where we doubt, where we question. And I'm so, so glad that Jesus worked with Thomas so that he did ultimately believe. In John 10, 10 and 11, Jesus says the thief, and that's Satan, by the way, and this morning, if you're doubting the existence of Satan, uh, you can ask Annie Lobert when she was overdosing on cocaine that demonic presence. Let me tell you something, friend. There is a devil, and he's, he hates you. In fact, Jesus said his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That's his job description. And Jesus said my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In fact, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Today, the life taker, the devil, is trying to hold on to you. That's what he's doing. Full bore. He's holding on to you. He wants to keep you away from Jesus. That's that's what he wants. But the life giver, Jesus Christ, is fighting for your soul this very moment, right where you're at. 
Yeah. He paid the price for your sin and my sin on the cross. And right now, you are in the middle of a spiritual tug of war. The devil is holding on to you, and Jesus is calling your name. Guess what? Jesus or the devil won't decide whether you go to heaven or hell. Do you know who decides? You do. You decide. So if you want to belong to Jesus, nobody's ever loved you the way he does. Nobody has the power to walk out of the grave and give you eternal life but him. And so for 2,000 years plus, Jesus has been unlocking the door of sin and letting the captives go free. And this morning, he's waiting for you to do that very thing. And so as we take these moments seriously, because there is this spiritual tug of war, if you choose to put your faith in Christ, you can say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Sin will keep me away from a holy God. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose on the third day. I believe that. And by faith, I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior, my rescuer spiritually. And I place my trust in you. And Lord, yes, you promised to save me. And I believe you. And because you are God, you can't lie. Aren't you glad for that? And so I believe right now, Jesus, that you're my Savior and that all my sins are forgiven. I thank you for saving me. That's what believe means. I believe. Jesus, I believe. Annie Lobert called on that name and Jesus came through and rescued her and this morning when you call on his name he will come and rescue you spiritually as well will you do it will you do it Father I want to thank you this morning for the great love that you have for each one of us you're a God who pursues us you're a God who gives us the freedom to lock you out, but you also give us the freedom to open that door for you to come in. And so today I pray for each person in this room that if they're in this spiritual tug of war, they will choose to put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. I I pray that that happens. And if that's you, would you put your hand up just right where you're at to say, Bob, will you pray for me? That's me. I'm, I'm at that tipping point. I'm at that moment of decision, just like Annie Lobert was, you know. She chose. Is that you? This morning, I choose. So, Lord, you know, you know. 
battles raging. I pray from your presence, Lord, from your touch, each one of us will respond to you. Let go of the rope that the devil's pulling and put all our trust on you. In Jesus' name.